The series that we are in has been a series of looking at these Christmas carols, many of the ones that we love that have such deep meaning. And this morning we're going to look at a very familiar carol. In fact, we'll close it out with the uh, end of our service, singing Hark the Herald Angels Sing. That was not the original title of this carol, and I'm going to point that out in just a moment. But the first word was hark, and the word hark means to stop, and it means to listen, and it means to follow, which is really hard to do, isn't it? But let's do it, depending on God's grace, and turn towards His Word. Luke 2 is the context for this great anthem, so let's stand as I read Luke 2, beginning in verse 8. I will read through verse 14. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. This is your word. We need it. We trust it. Father, we ask that you would would use it in our lives now. Holy Spirit, come and illuminate. Give us the ability to hear, the ability to listen, the ability to see what we could not see without you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to think for a moment about which Christmas present in your childhood that held your affection the longest? What was it? How long did it grip you? Do you still have it? Somewhere in a trunk, in an attic, or in a playroom for your grandchildren. What toy? I have two. I've shown you one. It was a Tonka truck, fire engine, when they were still made of metal. It pumped water. It was, it was awesome. It still is. My son plays with it. He's five. But the other one, I don't have anymore. I wish I did. I actually looked for one this week. I went on the internet. I googled Huffy Thunder Road number four. It's a bike. It's kind of the first entry-level BMX bike coming out in the 70s. There was a great commercial, you can still see the commercial, of boys riding in a pack with their BMX bike with the number four on the front and in the center. It had a seat that was about as big as the pulpit. It was massive. You could put three people on it and ride. 
It looked like a motorcycle seat. It was awesome. Christmas Eve, the lights went out. As you know, I already knew what I was getting. <laughs> I looked under the door. The light went out. I'd been told by my parents, do not get out of your bed. Don't come out of your room until at least 6.30. That was met with deaf ears. I waited till the light went out. The gifts I knew at that point had been delivered, and I went down the hall into the living room, and there it was an amazing scene. The tree glittering, five kids, okay, a lot of presents. And there in the back corner was the bike that I knew I was gonna get, just, just shining, the black, the chrome, it was awesome. But it was speaking to me. You know, toys will do that. Come, sit on me. Feel what this feels like, and I did. But that wasn't much fun. 1.30 in the morning turned to two in the morning. There's a lot of time to go between now and six. So I made a pathway through my sister's toys, and I pulled the bike out. Now I'm in the living room. I'm on carpet. I sit on the bike. It's still not that much fun. The bike speaks to me. Pedal. Ride. I checked the pressure. The tires were aired up. And off I went. Five or six laps. Now, you need to understand, this was not a very big house, but it was big enough. Around and around, I went in the living room. Not very fast, but fast enough. But that got boring by about 2.15. So I moved from the living room towards the dining room with a path towards the den. And I began to ride. And as I rode this bike, going appropriate speed for being inside the house, the tire suddenly left the carpet and hit the freshly polished or freshly waxed wood floor. Company was coming, had to look great. And when I went to turn, the back wheel of the bike slid out from underneath me, which I know looked really cool, but it hit my mother's china cabinet. That's what I heard at 2.45 in the morning. The back wheel hit the china cabinet, the top part of the hutch slid to the left, it dropped and all of my mother's china just slid to the end and crashed. I know. <laughs> I know. And what I tried to tell my mom was, don't make treasures on earth. <laughs> Actually, I didn't say that. I didn't know that verse. Soon I was greeted by a noise. It wasn't heavily. It was my father. And there was a sight to that scene. And my mom, my mom's sobbing. My dad's furious. I'm going back to my room. It's where I want to go. <laughs> and I'm not coming out, not even at six. It was a rough Christmas, to say the least. But I was a boy, a boy full of thrill, full of joy, anticipation having matched what I'd been dreaming of. It was there. And I learned there's grace. And I learned there's law. And I learned a lot that Christmas. But time goes on and toys, they drift. Either they get broken or we get bored. They move away, except in our memory. And the reason we're preaching from these texts and the reason we're looking at these hymns is that if we aren't careful, they too can lose their lure. Busyness of a season can lead to boredom. The weight and anxiety of, of, of a life can cause us to lose the weight of, of this glory and awe. And so we've been looking at these hymns, 
which we know they're so familiar, at least the first stanza. I've watched people, when we start to sing one of these hymns that are classic, everybody's loud because everybody's looking up, they know it by heart. The moment you move to the second or third verse, it's not as loud, people are looking down. You don't know the words as well. And that's where the treasure is really, because there's so much more for you to learn, no matter how old you are. There's so much more for you to learn about the incarnation. It's glorious and it's gonna to continue to be glorious into all creation into all of the new heavens and the new earth. So we're gonna look this morning at Hark the Herald. I want you to know first of all that Hark the Herald was not the original title. Now what I'm about to do is not very smart in terms of communication because I'm probably gonna lose your attention. My wife, when I showed her what I was gonna do, said, she said, oh, everyone's gonna stop listening to you. They're just gonna be looking at this. And the reason is because it's neat. I want you to open your bulletin to page nine. On page eight, we have the sermon notes page where you can always follow along and take notes in this, during a sermon. And we have the chorus and the verses, the three stanzas of Hark the Herald Angels Sing that we, we sing and we will conclude by singing today. But on page nine, we have the manuscript, a copy of the manuscript of Charles Wesley's hymn called how, Hark, How All the Welkin Rings. I'm gonna talk about that in a minute. But notice the very first stanza. You can make it out. Hark, how all the welkin rings. Now I want you to close the bulletin there. I don't want you to look at this again. Use the sermon notes page, but don't, don't go there. You have plenty of time today, the rest of the day to do that. I wanna start with the first stanza. And then I'll look briefly at the second and third. In the first stanza, there are two parts. The two parts, each are made up of four phrases. The very first phrase is, hark the herald angels sing. I wanna unpack these words, hark. Throughout this last week, I've asked many people, what does hark mean? And almost every time I get the same answer. It's actually not an answer. Instead, people say, it means Hark! <laughs> and I look at them and say, thank you, that, that really filled it out for me. I really understand what it means. It's one of those words where people kind of know what it means, but they don't really know how they would define it. I want to make it simple. Hark really means just listen. It means listen intensely to what you're about to hear. There's a reason there's an exclamation point there. It is a sobering jolt. Hark! Stop! Listen! That's what Wesley's after. Stop. Listen to what these messengers are saying. We do not live in a quiet age. We do not live in a time where we have much stillness. In fact, for most of you, the 20 to 40 seconds of silence that you have between the, the public confession of sin and the prayer of intercession is about as much quiet as you get, except for when you're sleeping. And I would guess that some of you sleep with noise on the whole night. And if you don't, you wake to it right away. Favorite song, favorite show. And some of it's good, probably, but still it's noise. 
Our world is so noisy. We've been doing silent retreats. It's a ministry that I began a couple years ago that's really beginning to pick up steam. You're going to hear more about it in the coming year. But every time somebody goes with me on one of these retreats, I tell them that once you get the external noise removed, it's going to get really loud. Because what's going on inside us is so loud. We are not very good at listening. And using this hymn, using Wesley's words, and using the scripture text for us, I'm, I'm calling us to stop. There's still time left between now and December 25th for all of us to stop and just listen again. Look again to the beauty and glory of the incarnation. Christians, those who believe all of this about Jesus, that he really did come, that he died, that he rose, that he reigns, that he's returning, if you believe all that and you're a Christian, I want to speak to you for a minute. If you, like me, believe all of that, but we let the noise of this world, the noise of anxiety, the noise of pressure, the noise of performance, the noise of of pride, the noise of people pleasing, if we let all of that swell up, we are living absurd lives, especially in the midst of what we're hearing this season. But that's the problem. If we don't hark, if we don't stop, we're actually just hearing. We're not listening. The word I used a minute ago was intentional. It's the word absurd. If you look up the word absurd, the first definition you'll see is probably something like wildly unreasonable, ridiculous, irrational, silly. In fact, it's what many people, and some of you might be here today just as a guest of, of a grandparent, or you're coming just to appease your mom and dad, you're about to college, you're not sure you even believe this stuff anymore, but you're here. You actually don't believe this stuff because it sounds absurd. And I want to tell you that you're right. Let me say it this way. Teenage virgin gives birth to God-man who saves the world. Teenage virgin gives birth to a human and divine man who will save the world. That sounds wildly unreasonable, ridiculous, irrational, silly. Yet, for thousands of years, before Christ came, while Christ walked upon the earth, after he came and until he returns, people have believed deeply that that is exactly what happened. Why? How can they believe it? It's not because they're not intelligent. It's not because they haven't pursued the scriptures to see if it's true. In fact, many have done that very thing and came away saying, I believe. It's called faith. And God himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, illuminates a heart to say, I believe that which seems unbelievable. It happened in my life. 
June 23rd, 1982. I pray that it happens in these three little ones' lives that were baptized today at some point. Some of you don't know the exact day, but you know the season of your life when you said, I believe, I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And some of you, that, that season might be right now. That day might be today. It seems absurd, wildly unreasonable. If you would say you don't believe, I want you to know from the bottom of my heart, I'm so glad you're here. And I pray that you'll keep listening. There's another type of absurdity I want to talk about, though. And this is the absurdity of people who profess to believe in Jesus, yet they let the noise of the world drown out the affection of their hearts. The reason I want to use the word absurd is because the word absurd in Latin comes from the word surdus, which means deaf. Deaf, hearing but not hearing. Motions of a mouth, but no comprehension. Maybe hearing noise, but not being able to make sense of it. One of the signs that we are going beyond hearing to listening is obedience. I heard my parents say, don't come out of your room until 6, 6.30. But I didn't obey. I really didn't hear. Listening involves an execution of that which I have heard now moving into me so that it exits through my hands and feet in some sort of application called obedience. And this is why that's important. The word obedient comes from the Latin word audire, which means listening. When we fail to listen, especially to the God of the universe, who has given us his holy word, we are living absurd lives. Jesus said so. This baby whose life we celebrate, who the shepherds saw in the manger, one day he is going to be standing beside a sea, and crowds are going to come to listen to him. And he's going to preach the greatest sermon ever preached. In fact, the only perfect sermon ever preached. Except the other ones that he preached. They were all perfect. And Jesus at the end of it is going to say, there are two builders. And one built his house on sand. And one built his house on what? The rock. One foundation washed away. The other foundation withstood the storms. What was the difference? listening. The one who said, I heard that there are storms are going to come, but I'm going to build it on sand anyway, was an absurd builder. He wasn't actually being very rational. He really didn't hear, or he only heard. He really didn't listen. But the other builder, and it took longer, said, I'm going to build on the rock. And he did. The same types of storms face those who build on the rock or on the sand. And people in our body right now, some are on the rock, some are on the sand right here today. If you're building on the sand, it's because you're not listening. 
Some of you college students perhaps are back and you once were living a life kind of on the rock, but first year, first semester, third semester, whatever, and you kind of drifted from that. Listen, listen to what I'm saying. This is not my interpretation. This is the word of God. How secure are you on the foundation you're building? If we know Christ, and the weight of what Wesley wrote in song is not overwhelming us with joy and peace and anticipation and above all, just worship of him, it's absurd. Hark, today, listen. Listen again to what is being proclaimed by these angels in Luke 2. The second part of that first line, it says, hark the herald. What is a herald? A herald is a person who carries or proclaims important news, a messenger, one that gives a sign or indication of something to come. A herald is an official formally charged with royal proclamations. And this is exactly what has happened. The angel has come to the place where the shepherds were. And the angel said to them, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Some of you may have heard those words for the first time 50 years ago. That's what I love about our congregation. There's such diversity of ages. You actually heard them when Linus stepped out to the center of the sage and said, lights, please. And then Charles Schultz, his pen at work, now animated and moving, recorded this reading of Luke 2. Why did he do that? Why did he step out? Because Charlie Brown said, I guess I really don't know the meaning of Christmas. Does anybody know the meaning of Christmas? Linus did, because his creator did. And the creator of the universe wanted us to know him. And on this glorious night, he sent a messenger, a herald, in the brightness of this sky to speak to these lowly shepherds. Lights, please. And the shepherds spoke. What was the message of the messengers? This is really the first part of this great hymn. It's in the second line. The message of the messengers, glory to the newborn king. In the original, it wasn't that phrase. It was glory to the king of kings. It's always all about God's glory, always. And that's why, that's why when he wrote this hymn, Wesley began with, hark how all the welkin rings. What's welkin mean? If you look it up in your dictionary or on your, your smartphone, it's going to say sky or clouds. But it's beyond that, literally beyond that. Welkin means that everything that has ever been created all that would fill created space and beyond. It means the very abode of God. Let all the welkin ring. 
And ring means make a loud noise. And so Wesley is saying, as you hear the message of these angels, listen to all the welkin ring. Listen to all creation. And he's going to go on to describe how this is what the nations will do. This is what the angelic beings will do and are doing just as they did that night. And he says, glory to the newborn king. But it wasn't originally that way. It was glory to the king of kings. And that's who Jesus is. Jesus is just not one more baby born to be a king. He's born king. He at that moment was king of kings and always has been. The line goes on. Peace on earth and mercy mild. This king has come to bring peace. This king has come to bring mercy. What kind of peace? What kind of mercy? And here's the great line of the first stanza. God and sinners reconciled. I don't know about you, but if I was to go to my home in Oklahoma City and all my family was there, we'd have a great time. But there's dysfunction everywhere. Maybe not in your family. Okay, it's in your family too. Why? Because sin entered the world through the first Adam. When sin came into the world, this is in Genesis 3. This man, this woman, Adam and Eve, disobeyed. They heard. Oh, did they hear. God was clear. In fact, the devil said to Eve, did God say you shouldn't eat from this tree? She repeated back what God said. Yes, he did say. But then she took some and ate. That was absurd. But no more absurd than when I take and eat the things I shouldn't take and eat of now. When I know better. But the consequence of sin entered into the world and man became separated from God. Woman became separated from God. Man and woman became separated from one another. And we see that play out today, don't we? Adam said to God, this woman you put here with me, she gave me some to eat. It's her fault. Actually, it's your fault. Brokenness is everywhere. But the most severe brokenness is our relationship with God. And Christmas is about God doing something about it. In fact, later today, when you go look at this manuscript, you're going to see a text that we don't sing, which is about the serpent's head. That's in Genesis 3. We're told that Christ would crush his head, but he would strike his heel. And that's what was going to happen to this baby. As Mary held this child, playing with his toes, you can imagine that heel. And this image is going to be struck. It's actually both feet as that nail goes through them. Those wrists that she's playing with, they're going to be staked to a cross. Those ribs which, that she sees breathing as he sleeps like a baby, that's going to be pierced. And a mixture of blood and water is going to flow out for you and for me because his heart bursts that we might be reconciled because that's why this baby came. God and sinners reconciled. And that is true. 
for every person who professes faith in Jesus, have you, have you been reconciled to God? Are you his? I really want to say this right now. Hark. Listen. This is about all eternity. Second stanza. I'm going to leave most of this to you to do on your own. But would you give me just a couple minutes to highlight a couple of things? First, in the second stanza, it's all about Jesus. The first stanza has been the angel's song, the messenger's message. The second part of the first stanza is about how we should respond to the song. And you know what that is? It's worship. Here's one example. In the original, if you look at it later today, but not now, the refrain, heart the herald angels sing, which we're going to sing in just a moment, wasn't original. They didn't do that. When Mendelssohn got a hold of it, suddenly that refrain is the chorus that we sing. And you know what's amazing about that? In the beginning, it's the angels saying, heart the herald, it's the, the hymn writer saying, heart the herald angels sing. But now after we've heard what they've sung, now that we know the message of the messengers, we are doing what they were doing, singing, worshiping. Not only were we doing what they were doing, we are doing what they are doing presently now and what they and you and me will do for all eternity. That's what it's going to be like. Hark, the herald angels sing. Listen. The second stanza moves towards looking. It's moving away from listening to looking. And we know because of the word, behold. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. That word behold means to look. It's the word that the angels brought to the shepherd. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. And after the shepherds heard that angel, and they heard what the multitude were saying, the shepherds looked at one another and said, let us go to this place to see. And they did. Behold, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. You know what that means? God with us. Listen, hark. Now look. What did the angels see? You know what they saw? They saw a baby. And it looked like a baby. It looked like your baby. The hair, different color. The skin, maybe a little darker. Red spots, probably. He was newborn. And the shepherds came to this place, and they saw in the manger, or if Mary had taken it out, or if Joseph was holding, I don't know, they saw a baby. And the baby looked like a baby because Jesus is 100% man. And if they stayed long enough, they would hear that baby, 100% human, cry for food. And the only source of food was his mother's breast. And they would see that baby grow and thirst and hunger and bleed as any man. But this baby wasn't just any baby. 
this baby would say to those who have disease, be healed. This baby would grow up to be a man who would say to those who could not see, look, see. He would say to those who could not hear, now, hear, and they would hear. He would say to those who've been overwhelmed by death, come out or rise, and they would come out and they would rise. Look, listen. And the third stanza, near the end, tells us why he was born. I'm almost done. Born that man no more may die. If you're a Christian and you know you're not going to die, you'll die this side of heaven, but then you'll live for eternity and you're bored right now, hark. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Wesley's referring to what the 30 or 31 year old Jesus would say to a teacher named Nicodemus. You must be born again. There must be a second birth. That second birth is a spiritual birth. In 2 Corinthians 5, where Paul talks about reconciliation, he says this, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Have you been born again? Have you been reconciled to God? Are you confident that you are going to spend eternity in heaven? If so, rejoice. If you're not sure, today may be the day that you've come to hear this news, maybe for the first time. And maybe it still sounds absurd to you. But I want to ask you, if you would consider, at least consider, looking deeply into whether or not these things that I'm saying about Jesus are true. For if they are, if they are, the only absurd thing in your life would be to hear them, but not to listen, to hear them and not believe. I would be delighted to walk with you as would any of our pastors through that discovery if that's where you are. You could leave today praying for salvation and knowing that you're his forever, knowing that you've been reconciled this very day. Last thing I want to say, though, is to those who already believe. I really want you to hear that word, hark. And here's why. We're so good at nodding amen to the truth and then walking out of a place like this and the noise just overwhelms us. It's what C.S. Lewis says is the difference between paint and stain. We hear a message like this and we paint the right things on and we walk out. Wasn't that neat? Wasn't that neat? I learned so much about Harkin. Hey, what do you think about the word Wilkin? It's paint. We need stain. Paint covers the surface. Stain soaks through. Stain only comes when we truly listen, when we truly hark. So I have a few questions, believer, for you, and then I'm done. Has the noise of this season caused the newness of your relationship with Jesus to wear off? Has the busyness of this season buried your affection for God? Has the worry 
of all you still have left to do, taken away the weight of his glory? Has anxiety over your preparations taken away your awe of the incarnation? Don't fear. Because this God knows you perfectly. And he knows how noisy your life is and how noisy my life is and how hard it is for us to truly listen. And you know what he does? He shows us new mercies. And those new mercies are given every day. I need them. And so do you. And so this is one of them. It's a word. Hark. Stop. Listen. Know that he is God. Be overwhelmed by his glory. Jesus Christ, I believe that you are who you say you are. And I know I'm not alone. Jesus Christ, you were born to give us second birth. Jesus, you were born to reconcile us to yourself, to the Father, to the Holy Spirit. Would you do that work even now, Lord, if there are people in our midst who don't know you? Bring them to saving faith. Lord, for those who already know you, would you provide the mercy that is needed for us to stop and to soak, even as we sing, Hark the herald, angels sing. It is for your glory that we pray. It is for your glory that we sing. It is for your glory that we live. It is for your glory that we die. It is for your glory that we who are in Christ will be raised. Let that vision overwhelm us now, Father, even as we worship you, concluding with this great hymn that we are so thankful for. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.